In times of trouble, human nature says, get busy and fix the problem. But God's Word says, be still and know that I am God. Which do you choose? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at the sufficiency of God in helping you overcome the trials of life. With encouragement to be still when troubles come, here's David with the conclusion of his message, God is near to you. And thank you so much for joining us. We are studying uh, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. That's the title of the book that's the resource for the month of January here on Turning Point. This 208-page, brand-new gift book has 10 chapters with 10 great promises for the presence of God and His wonderful truth in your life when you need it most. Right now, we're in the midst of a message called God is Near You, and we'll get back to that in Psalm 46, but I want to tell you how you can get a copy of this book. All you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point. Do the best you can, but whatever you can send, that's good. We'll, we'll accept that as your, your investment in Turning Point. And when you do it, ask for your copy of this book, and it will be sent to you, and you'll get it pretty quickly. We have these books in our warehouse ready to be sent as soon as we get your request. Now, it's not enough just to send your gift. You have to send a gift, and you have to ask for the book. So be sure and do that uh, during the month of January and add this wonderful book to your library. Here's part two of God is Near You. On October 31st in 1517, sometimes called the 4th of July of Protestantism, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the Cathedral of Wittenberg, Germany, and the Protestant Reformation was ignited. One of the important benefits of the Reformation was the rediscovery of congregational singing. And Luther had such strong convictions about the use and the power of sacred music He expressed his convictions in a number of statements that I found this week. For instance, in this one, If any man despises music as all fanatics do, for him I have no liking. For music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. I don't know if you heard what he said. He said, anybody doesn't like music is a fanatic. I didn't say that. That's Martin Luther. And again, The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. And then since I'm a preacher and I love music so much, I gravitated toward this one. He said, I would allow no man to preach or teach God's people without a proper knowledge of the use and power of sacred song. Interesting. The single most powerful hymn of the Protestant Reformation was Luther's A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, based upon Psalm 46. This hymn became the battle cry of the people, a great source of strength and inspiration even for those who were martyred for their convictions. This hymn has been translated into almost every language, and there are over 60 different English translations of the text itself. When difficulty or discouragement would come upon Martin Luther and his buddy Philip Melanchthon, who were the architects of the Reformation, they would come to one another, and sometimes Luther would say, Philip, come, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And they would take out the metric version that Luther had written, and they would sing the words of this great psalm. And the first line of this national hymn of the Protestant Reformation is fittingly inscribed on Martin Luther's tomb, which you can see sometime if you ever visit Germany. Our God is an awesome refuge for our time, for Luther's time, for any time. 
Notice, secondly, he's an accessible refuge. Notice what it says in the text. He is a very present help in trouble. Reminds me of what I heard a parent ask a little boy what the Bible says about lying. And he said, the Bible says that lying is a very present help in the time of trouble. That is not what the Bible says. (laughs) God, our refuge, is a very present help in the time of trouble. The word for trouble could be translated in tight places. How many of you have ever been in a tight place, in between a rock and a hard place? You don't know what to do. The words very present convey the idea that God is easy to be found, and when he is found, he's enough for any situation. God never withdraws himself from us when we are in trouble. He is more present to us than a friend or a relative can be. Think about this. God is more present to us than the trouble that has driven us to him in the first place. He is a friend in need and a friend indeed. As we read in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14, God's word to Moses was, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He's very accessible. And then notice thirdly, he's ageless. This refuge is not only accessible, but it's an ageless refuge. It says in verses 2 and 3 of the 46th Psalm, Therefore will we not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Here the psalmist has tried to figure out all of the calamitous things that could happen. The earth being removed, the mountains being destroyed. He's come up with all of the things that would think of natural and national disasters. And he said, if all those things happen, there is still God. Sometimes we wring our hands with the things that happen in our culture and we think, oh my goodness, what if this takes place? Look what happened to earth, you know? (laughs) Let me ask you to read part of a Psalm 102, 25 through 28. Let's read it out loud together. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. When your trouble comes, retreat to your refuge. He's awesome, he's available, and he's ageless. When everything else fails, there's still God. Notice in the second stanza of this psalm, that when trouble comes, you need to rediscover your strength. There are two thoughts here in this stanza. First of all, the first part of your strength you need to rediscover is that you have a secret power within. Did you know that? Now let me tell you something that's really interesting to me. Whenever an ancient city thought they were going to be surrounded or sieged by another nation, they feared most of all not the enemy, not their embattlements, not their armaments. They feared the supply of food and water inside the walled city. So when Hezekiah realized that the Assyrians were coming toward Jerusalem, he had enough time to do a little preparation He took great care to make sure that his city would be protected. And listen to what he did. In the Kidron Valley, outside of Jerusalem, there was a deep spring, an ever-bubbling spring called the Spring of Gihon. And this spring was the water supply of Jerusalem. And it had to be protected. And so Hezekiah 
redirected the waters of the spring through a conduit that was 1,777 feet long, hewn out of solid rock. And he redirected the waters of the spring of Gihon under the wall of the city of Jerusalem into a reservoir so that it was right in the middle of the city. Then he went out and he covered up any evidence of the spring and did it in such a clandestine way that Sennacherib and the Assyrians had no idea where the water supply was or what had happened to it. If God hadn't taken out the Assyrians that night, Hezekiah had enough water inside the city to keep his people alive for a long time. And so we read in verse 4, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. How many of you know that in the midst of the walled city with trouble all around, you have a resource in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, you see that. The Lord Jesus teaching any powerful reminder to his people in the book of John chapter four said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And again, in the seventh chapter of John, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When you have the Holy Spirit of God within you, you have a resource, a secret resource that nobody knows about. It's down deep inside of who you are as a person. It's the Holy God himself incarnate in you through the Holy Spirit. When trouble comes, don't look out there. You're not ever going to find anything out there even close to the resource of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. He is the almighty God. He's the stream that never ceases to supply. Not only do you have a secret power within you, but if you keep reading in the psalm, you discover you have a secret person within you. Notice verses 5 through 7. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you see how this psalm reflects what God did before dawn? When all the people were killed by the angel and the rejoicing in the great victory of the Lord. Like the fourth person in the fire in the book of Daniel, they looked in and there were more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a fourth person likened to the Son of God. God was in the fire with his children. Like the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee fishing at night and the storm blows up and they're panic stricken. They don't know what to do and the Lord God's asleep in the back of the boat. And the one who created the waves and the winds spoke, peace be still. And everything was over. How many of you know so often we go through trouble, we look everywhere but the right place. You know, I'd rather be in the storm with God in the boat than on the shore without him, wouldn't you? I'd rather be in the fire with the Lord God there protecting me than standing outside the furnace without his provision. The Bible says when we go through trouble, what we need to do is re-examine and restore and remember that we have a resource, two secret resources, the Holy Spirit and God himself in the midst of us. When we come to the third stanza, we're reminded that we need to redirect our thoughts Here is a a wonderful reminder to us whenever we face trouble. This is 
psychological in some sense of the word. It's therapeutic in some sense of the word, but it's theological in every sense of the word. It is God's word to us. What do you need to do when you go through trouble? Well, first of all, redirect your thoughts by reviewing the works of the Lord. Notice what it says in the eighth verse. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth and makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Whenever you go through a difficult place in your life, when trouble comes your way, one of the greatest things you can do is look back over your shoulder and review what God has done for you. Remember that the God of today is the God of yesterday. And the God who has sustained you to where you are right now, who's brought you victoriously through every trouble you've ever experienced, that God is the God who stands with you in the midst of this trial. I love what it says in the story of Sennacherib. The next morning there I got up and there were all dead corpses. How do you ever forget a victorious intervention like that? How do you ever forget the interventions that God has exhibited in your life. You know, one of the things that I love to tell people about and try to encourage them to do, and I keep trying to be faithful at it every day myself, is to record what God is doing in your life in a journal. Because we have a tremendous capacity to forget the works of the Lord. I've been doing this now since 1994. And now it's fun for me to go back when I'm writing in my journal on a particular day and say, I wonder what was going on in my life on this day in 1994. And I go back into that pile of papers and pull out those two pages and read. And You know what? I've forgotten all about that. I've forgotten what God did. And sometimes, you know, you can just almost get high on what God did for you four years ago. <laughs> you know, just get excited about that. Thinking back through those circumstances. Behold the works of the Lord. You see what happens? Satan isolates us to our present calamity out of context of the greater work of God. Isn't that what he does? He makes us think that this thing we're going through right now is everything and that nothing else is involved. But this is a little blip on the chart and we need to see how God has helped us in the past. Behold the works of the Lord. And the second part of that last stanza reminds us in Psalm 46 that we need not only to review the works of the Lord, we need to reclaim the words of the Lord. Notice what he says as he closes out this hymn. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Hardest part of all of that is the first two words, be still. Be still. That's what we tell our children. Be still. Sometimes I think God leans over the banisters of heaven and sees us running around in our frenzied activities and he just leans over like we were his little kids saying, be still. Because when you're frenzied and you're doing everything and you can't find God in the midst of the frenzy, you need to retreat to your refuge. Rediscover your strengths and then be still and know that he is God. These verses call us to be quiet long enough to hear the Lord and to know that the Lord is with us, that he has a plan for our future. You know what God's plan is? That he be exalted among the nations and exalted in the earth. He will be exalted in our circumstances as well if we will be still and know that he is God. Trust him to do it. For the second time, the psalmist says... The Lord of hosts is with us. 
Don't let that slip through your fingers. Don't just read that as if that was something you want to forget. Twice in the psalm, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Who is the Lord of hosts? In the Hebrew, it's the Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of the angels. The Lord of the hosts of heaven. Think about this. In the story we read in 2 Kings, one night God Almighty sent the angel of the Lord, one angel down, and he destroyed 185,000 Assyrians who were bent on the destruction of God's people. And the text says, we don't just have the one angel, we have the Lord of all the angels with us. Every once in a while people get off on this angel thing, you know? But he's got an angel. Angels helping them find parking places and all kinds of weird things, you know. I've never had an angel like that, but you know. And people say, and I'd rather believe this, that we have guardian angels. And I probably have a guardian angel. I wouldn't be standing up here before you today. I wouldn't have survived. But I want to ask you a question. Would you rather have your own angel? Or would you rather have the Lord of Sabaoth as your God? My friends, we've got Almighty God in our heart. I don't want to get off on the angel thing. He hasn't revealed a lot of things about angels that people are talking about today. But he has revealed this clearly, that the Lord of the angels lives within our hearts. When we're in the midst of our troubles, we need to pray to Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, and say, oh Lord God of hosts, you are with me. You know what the word with me is in the, in the language of the Old Testament? It is Emmanuel, from which we get the word Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. The Lord of Sabaoth, Emmanuel. He is with us. If you've read much of the literature of what we might call the deeper life, you've read some writings of Hannah Whitehall Smith. She wrote a book some years ago called The God of All Comfort. And in this book, she told of this experience. She said that she had been going through a time of great trouble in her life and a time of great questioning about the trouble and difficulty, and she didn't know what to do. And like most of us, when we face our troubles, she thought that no one had ever had any trouble like her trouble, and it was all peculiar to her, and that there was no one who could understand it. And then, well, this is what happened, and she writes about it. There happened to be staying near me just then for a few weeks a lady who was considered to be a deeply spiritual Christian. And to whom I had been told I should go for additional help to get through my trouble. So I summoned up my courage and one afternoon I went to see her. And I poured out my troubles before her. And I expected, of course, that she would take a deep interest in me. And would be at great pains to do all she could to help me. She listened patiently and did not interrupt me. But when I finished my story, said Hannah Whitehall Smith. And I paused, expecting her to respond in sympathy and consideration. She simply said, yes. All you say may be very true, but then, in spite of it all, there is God. Well, she said, I waited a few minutes for her to say something else. (laughs) But nothing came. And my friend and teacher had the air of having said all that was necessary. And I knew she was done. (laughs) But I continued, you didn't understand how very serious and perplexing my difficulties are. Oh, yes, I did, replied my friend. But then, as I tell you, there is God. And I could not induce her to make one other answer. It seemed to me most disappointing and unsatisfactory. I felt that my peculiar and really harrowing experiences could not be met by anything so simple and so mere 
as the statement, yes, but there is God. I knew God was there, of course, but I felt I needed something more than just God. And I came to the conclusion that my friend, for all her great reputation as a spiritual teacher, was at any rate not able to grapple with the peculiarity of my particular case. However, she said, my need was so great. I did not give up with my first trial, but I went to her again and again, always with the hope that she would sometime begin to understand the importance and peculiarity of my difficulties and that she would give me some adequate help. But it was of no avail. I was never able to draw forth any other answer. And at last, because she said it so often and seemed so sure, I began to dimly wonder whether, after all, God might not be enough. (laughs) Even for my need, overwhelming and peculiar as I felt it to be. From wondering, I came gradually to believe that being my creator and redeemer, he must be enough. And at last, a conviction burst upon me that he really was enough. And my eyes were open to the fact of the absolute, utter, all-sufficiency of Almighty God. And she wrote, my troubles disappeared like magic, and I did nothing but wonder how I could ever have been such an idiot as to be troubled by them when all the while there was God. The Almighty, the all-seeing God, the God who had created me and was therefore on my side and eager to care for me and help me, and I found out that God was enough. And at last my soul was at rest. And I thought as I finished reading that statement, how simple but how profound. What do you mean God is enough? That sounds like pious language that somebody rehearses to answer questions with. But it is not. Let me just ask you this. You better hope he's enough. Because if he isn't enough, where do you go for plan B? Hmm? If you have exhausted all of the sufficiency of Almighty God, where do you go then? No, I'm telling you, he's your creator. He's your redeemer. He's your sustainer. He's the one who loved you enough to give his life for you. And when you come to him, the all-powerful one of the universe, with whatever problems you may have, I'm telling you, he's enough. God's enough. Oh, I know you need the comfort and encouragement of God's people, and I'm not disdaining the personal ministries we have to another, but when all of that is pushed aside and you're alone at 3 o'clock in the bedroom or alone at 3 o'clock in a hospital room and you look up into the ceiling and there's nobody there but just you in the darkness, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God's enough, and he's enough for you. I don't know what your problem is, but just try to think about your problem in relationship to Almighty God. He's enough. He surely is. I always think about David who encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to look at the one we know is there and be encouraged in his presence. Well, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about the fact that God sees you and hears you. And we're moving to Psalm 142. These messages, mostly from the Psalms, are meant to help you. These are encouraging words for a discouraging time. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're living in discouraging times now, but I know before this year is over, you're going to run into a few of them. We always do. It's good to know where to look for help and encouragement when those things come to pass. I want to let you know that there's a study guide that goes with this book, 
You can get the book Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World simply by sending a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of January. But to get the study guide, you have to go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. There you will see it displayed. You can order it, have it sent right to your home. You'll be ready, if you want to, to conduct your own small group. You can have uh, study guides uh, for everybody in your group. You'll have the main book. You can be the facilitator, and you can talk about these wonderful promises with all the people you meet with to study the Word of God. Have I told you how much it means to me that you join us every day to study the Word of God? Well, I'm telling you now. As we begin this new year together, let's covenant that we will make this a very special appointment every day to join together as we study the Word of God and be strengthened in His truth as we face the challenges of these uncertain days. I'm David Jeremiah, and I'm so thankful to be your teacher. Please join me tomorrow as we continue our discussion of encouraging words for discouraging times. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Let us know how Turning Point is impacting you by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. 10 Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue encouraging words for discouraging times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you believe Jesus is with you in every moment? One of the best ways to instill this truth is by spending time in reflection and prayer. Dr. David Jeremiah makes this easy with his new 365-day devotional called Walking with Jesus. This exclusive book is available for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a donation of $120 or more, you'll receive the devotional four-pack, perfect for gifting. Learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Depending on your age, you may remember the book published by the famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger. In 1973, he wrote, 
whatever became of sin? It's a good question, even more appropriate nearly four decades later. It seems no one is sinful anymore. Instead, people who do wrong are immature or foolish or ill. Those words do apply to some people, of course, but the Bible also applies the sin word to everyone. It says that all have sinned, that is, all are sinners, and have fallen short of God's standards. But it also points to the answer, forgiveness through the grace of Jesus Christ. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's solution for sin on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.